I'm going to dive into Acts chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 today. It's the same passage that we started with last week. It's really what I would say is our theme verse and helped to really motivate me to do this series. Um, it is uh, in verse 1 where Apollos was at Corinth and Paul, he took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. This is where we get the books. These are the cities where we Paul writes about Corinthians and Ephesians. Um, and so here he's on the journey. And it says, look, he found some disciples. That's believers. That's those who are Christians. And so Paul is on this journey. He's in a city. He's talking to believers. And he asks them a question. The question he asks them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So that's a question. Well, what's the answer? Their answer is no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Haven't even heard it. And, and I think that there are some reasons why when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people, people don't have a good understanding of who he is and why God has given him to us in this life. And I think some of it is because of fear. I think there is a, a concern of what people have seen in the past, maybe through a denomination or a person. And so people are just afraid that maybe they think he's a little weird. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit's not weird people can get weird. And so I am convinced, that's why we did this series, that people don't reject the Holy Spirit, they reject the packaging of the Holy Spirit. And that if you knew more about the Holy Spirit and what his purpose is and what, what we can get in our life from him, uh, then I'm convinced that every one of us would want more of God and experience it for ourselves. And so that is my attempt today. And if I were to title the message, I would entitle it Naturally Supernatural. Naturally supernatural. Last week I talked about the breath of God and the Holy Spirit and started to introduce to you uh, His name because we understand His name shares His character, shows us His character. And when you understand His character, now the walls are going down because I understand He's not something to be feared, but He is a person to be embraced. And so we talked about wind. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and read it because um, many times we're afraid of the words that the English writers translated from the original text in the Greek and the Hebrew, Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. But those words don't even accurately describe who he is and how he functions. It was their attempt to put a word in there to the English language for us to get it. But the original language is such a greater understanding and will, I believe, in many times cause us to put our walls down to even hear uh, about the Holy Spirit in our life. And so go back and watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it on Apple iTunes and uh, catch up this next week. Now, I want to begin with Pentecost. Pentecost. This is really a stumbling block for many when you talk about Pentecost, Pentecostal. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what that means. And so I'm going to lay a foundation at the very end. I'm going to give you uh, some keys and, and what the Holy Spirit does to help us live naturally supernatural. But we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, when the day of Pentecost came, now what is the day of Pentecost. For those of you that are brand new to your faith, this would have been after Jesus lived a sinless life. He dies on a cross. He's buried. He rises again. And then the Bible talks about he shows himself to his disciples. And there are others that he shows himself to. Um, and then ultimately, Jesus ascends back to heaven. And he gives a commission. Go and tarry. Go and wait. So you've heard the story, or maybe not. The disciples go to an upper room. And they wait. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And that's the day of Pentecost. The disciples come down. Peter preaches. 3,000 are saved in a single moment. So Pentecost, the day of Pentecost came. Now, I'm not going to try to define the word right now. Because it's not really about the word. Because it's, it's really about the day. I need to understand the day. The day of Pentecost. And it's not even that it's a day, but it's really the, more than that. It's, it's a holiday. Now to us in the Western church, 
It doesn't make any sense to us. But to a Jewish person who understands the celebrations and the feast that God set up to celebrate, to remember his mighty works through his people throughout the generations, they would understand what this day represents. And Jesus, remember, he came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, but he was raised as a Jew in the Jewish customs. He knew what Pentecost means. So he is now in this earth, and you can imagine his whole mission, not only was it to die on the cross, but it was to raise up disciples who, when he ascends back to heaven, can now take the rescue plan and execute it. So his job is to raise up the disciples, to preach the gospel, and people are rallying behind him. But Jesus has a challenge, and his challenge is, how do I get heavenly principles into an earthly understanding? Right, that's the great thought of every pastor and communicator is I gotta take something very complicated and I gotta make it into something that people can get and understand. Well, it, when you read the Gospels, I love it because it says Jesus never spoke without speaking in parables. What does that mean? Jesus wasn't trying to be sophisticated. Jesus was trying to be applicable. He was trying to be relevant in the fact of, it doesn't matter if I say big words, I got to get it to you to where it gets to your heart. So his method was, hey, I'm going to take what we know, these holidays, these feasts, and then I'm going to use them to show a mirror of what the Old Testament feast represent in the new covenant. And so what I want to do this morning in this time is I'm going to show you through some passages that that how Jesus would use the feast, the celebration, something that God's people would know and use to remember to illustrate what has or will happen in the new covenant. Okay, because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law in Matthew 5, 17. And when we talk about the law, that's, that's the regulations, that's the behavior, that's the Ten Commandments. You know, just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean we just forego the, the Ten Commandments. You know, he didn't come to abolish the prophets. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the words of the prophet. So, so the point is, is we don't throw the baby out now with the bathwater. Now that we're in the new covenant, that old covenant, the Old Testament, it is a picture of what God wants to do. There's a purpose to it. There is a reason that it's there. And if we'll understand what it represents, I think we're going to understand why Jesus would do this. We'll understand what God wants to give you in your life as you live here in this earth. Now, we don't fulfill or practice the Old Testament. You know, thank God we're not slaughtering lambs and rams and all those things. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever read the Old Testament? I read the one-year Bible every day, and we it's an Old, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. Have you, how many have ever thought about how bloody that would be? Like a celebration to God was like mass murder for animals. Like (laughs) I would have hated to have been an animal back then. But when you think about today, we put God in this nice, neat little box. I just messed some of you up. You had this big image and you can't even go with me now. You're like, oh, my God. Well, thank God we don't live in that day. Jesus was one sacrifice. He was good enough for all mankind. And so thank God for that. But when you understand the practices of the Old Testament, we don't do those, but we still embrace the principles. The principles don't change. They're timeless. And Jesus, he came to fulfill fulfill it. So uh, three major holidays. I think it's going to help us understand. The first one is Passover. Passover. Now, Passover, to a Jewish person, they totally understand this. This is where God delivers the Hebrew nation out of Egyptian slavery. So for those of you that maybe don't know or are unfamiliar with what took place, the Hebrew nation was starving from famine. God sets up Egypt as the hub of distribution for food and all that's needed to survive. So the Hebrews moved to to Egypt. God provides. Well, many years later, different leaders later, different pharaohs later, the Hebrew nation ends up as slaves. 
In fact, they were slaves for 400 years, the Bible tells us. A lot of what you see in Egypt, the pyramids, all those things, the the Hebrew uh, nation would have been a part of building that. And so they're in slavery, but God's like, the slavery's going to end. He gets Moses and calls him from a burning bush to go back to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He's like, no way am I letting them go. So God brings the 10 plagues. And the last of the 10 plagues is where the death angel killed the firstborn of the Egyptian families. Now God said, I don't want to kill the the, the Jewish people, the, the Hebrew nation, the Israelites firstborn. So I need you to do something. In fact, I need you to sacrifice a lamb. I want you to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And then there were some things that God wanted them to do with the remaining of the parts of the lamb. But the point of it was, if you'll put the blood on the doorpost, when the death angel comes, he will pass over. He'll pass over. So so you will not experience the death that's coming to the families of the Egyptian people. So that's why it's called Passover. So there's this celebration. It's like, God, you, you, you passed over our home. And of course, we ultimately know Pharaoh let them go. And then they went into the desert. And it was a great celebration. They were saved. You with me? So let me break it down for you. The first thing is the Passover lamb was sacrificed at 9 a.m. This is what they did for Passover. So it's killed, it's sacrificed at 9 a.m. The lamb was put into the oven at 3. It's a very precise ritual. God was very precise with the instructions of what he wanted his people to do. And then the sacrifice covered their sins. So they're still sinners, It doesn't wipe away their sin. It just covers their sin. And that's why you would see every year they would have to go sacrifice because the lamb of that, the blood of the lamb was not enough to cover and take, not to take away the sin. It could only cover the sin. You with me? So I want you to see the picture and the mirror of how Jesus came to fulfill this. In fact, Good Friday was Passover. Jesus is hung on a cross at 9 a.m., sacrificed for the the world. Well, Jesus dies at 3 p.m., so he, just like the lamb, goes in the oven. Jesus is now going to the tomb in the grave, and then ultimately his sacrifice removes our sins. Aren't you glad it doesn't cover sin? It removes sin. I'm trying to show you a pattern. I'm going somewhere with this. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's fulfilling the old law and the prophets. Amen? Okay, so what does Passover represent? It's salvation. It's our salvation. Aren't you glad glad that we are saved? So this this salvation that we get to experience, the thing we must know and understand without a shadow of a doubt is that you cannot earn salvation. Let me say it again. You cannot earn salvation. Salvation was paid for once and for all. If you add anything to it, you are saying his blood was not enough. You got to be careful with, with, with people that say you got to earn your way to heaven. It's absolutely not true. And this stands all by itself. Yes, there's more that God wants for your life. He wants you to pray, read your Bible, fast, give, serve, go into. The, I mean, there's all these things he wants you to do, but he doesn't mix those with this. This is standing all by itself because he wants you to know this is a gift that was given to you. All we have to do is receive. How do we receive? We put our trust in Jesus to save us. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith, the belief. This is not from ourselves. It is a gift, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what do you have to do? All you have to do is surrender your life to him and then give your life back. God, I surrender. I trust you. Receive it. Okay, now I'm going to go live for him. And we'll talk about that. Second holiday, or no, then, yeah, the second holiday is the, the, the Pentecost holiday. 
Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, before I go into what we remember and what it represents, I want to just address the word because I think so many times we get stuck on it, even though it's not about the word, it's about the day, but I still want to address it. Pentecost, you know what Pentecost actually means? 50. Now, who is scared of that word 50? When I say 50, does it evoke a scary emotion? No, no. But how I many, when I say Pentecost or Pentecostal, maybe you're like, oh, not so much. Why? Because something that was never intended to be associated with it is now associated. That's how wicked the devil is. He'll use anything to get you afraid of receiving the power that God has available to you. You with me? So it's just 50. What does it mean? 50 days after Passover. That's Pentecost. 50 days after Passover. So in the calendar, that would be seven weeks after Easter. We, we celebrated seven weeks after Easter. What are we celebrating? Now we're celebrating a time where we remember that God gave uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. They're out. They've been delivered out of Egypt. They're over at Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up to the top. you got to remember, as a Hebrew nation, they had not been given formal um, regulations and how do we behave and what is it look like? And God brought them out of Egypt. And so he knew I could take you out of Egypt, but I got to get Egypt out of you. So they celebrate that my God has defined the pattern or behavior that I'm to operate in. How many know clarity is amazing? So it's celebrating God. You are so good. You were clear with what you expect from us. And it's great. God writes it supernaturally. If you remember the tablets, he writes the Ten Commandments supernaturally on the tablets. Now, um, then, you know, Moses goes down and the people sin against God. They make an idol, uh, a calf out of gold. Moses had been up there so long and started worshiping that calf and then God kills 3,000 of them. And it's, I always find it interesting. Moses was so mad he threw them down. God hand wrote it himself. The second time he had to go up, God said, you write them. <laughs> he still gave it to him, but now you got to work. The first one I do, I wonder sometimes our anger doesn't cause us to have to work harder than what we should, you know. So anyway, take that or leave it. So, <laughs> But let me tell you what, what the celebration uh, would, would represent. And it's, it's a, the first thing is a cloud descended with a loud noise and fire because that's what God did. He surrounds the mountain. And if you'll remember, he calls people up and they're like, oh, no, we're afraid. Moses, you go up. You know, so Moses represents them. God writes his law on tablets of stone and then 3,000 people die. That's what they're, they know this. The Jewish people, even today, they already know this. Um, you know, th this is not unfamiliar to them, but it's unfamiliar to us. Uh, it's a mirror, it's a picture of the day of Pentecost. Just as Jesus was a picture um, previously, this is a picture of Pentecost. Look, the Holy Spirit descends with a loud sound and fire from the upper room. God writes his law on their hearts, and instead of 3,000 people dying, 3,000 people are born again. The old fulfilled in the new. You see how there's a fulfillment. We don't abolish the old. There is a fulfillment of it in the new. It's a beautiful picture when you understand this holiday and what that God is very methodical. Nothing happens by surprise. Look at Acts 1, 3 through 5. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs. He was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. That's the 40 days and the 10 days, which is 50. And it says, look, but in a few days, how many days? 10 days. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, look, go and wait. Look, the fulfillment of the Pentecost, the day, what I have for you is not complete. But if you'll go and wait, it's going to be fulfilled. The old will be fulfilled in the new. And look, at we say, why? Why? Look at Acts 1 and 8. But you will receive power. Everybody say power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. So, so the power is because you have a mission. 
The power is because God's got an assignment. And that assignment in your life is too great for you to do without God's power. That's why he told the disciples, look, don't go out. I know you've seen me. I know you're excited. I have been resurrected. I am going up to the Father. And there is a great commission, but you have to wait because the commission is too great for you to do in the natural. I need you to be naturally supernatural. You understand? That's how come Peter could be around the fire and in a small group, a little girl makes him so afraid he denies Jesus three times. And yet step out of the upper room and in a mob of people who could have killed him at any moment, boldly declares the gospel and 3,000 people are saved. Why? Power, power, power. So Pentecost has nothing to do with wild and crazy services has nothing to do with people jumping up and down and goosebumps and people falling over. Pentecost has to do with power. 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 So what's it all about? Power to make a difference. Power to make a difference. Power to make a difference. And there has never been a day where we need the power of God. Walking out of this pandemic, walking into what seems like the most chaotic of situations with our borders, overseas, political divide, racial division. And I refuse to get pulled to one side or another. I'm not this and I'm not that. I'm not going to you and I'm not going. I go to one. That's God. There is a third option and that option is kingdom. We are a kingdom church. The only way we will survive is to be a kingdom church. I'm not getting pulled to the right or left. And I'm telling you, the only way we're going to make it is if we remember kingdom. The devil is vicious. Are there injustices? Absolutely. And we're going to fight everything we can, but we are not getting off mission because we're pulled in a direction that becomes a distraction. We're kingdom, we're kingdom, we're kingdom. Remember, there's three holidays. The last holiday is tabernacles. This happened uh, in the fall. The harvest time, the other two would have been in the spring. Um, And so this is a celebration of them wandering in the desert. And, you know, if you're Jewish, you know tabernacle means a portable home. You already know that. Now, most people may not know that in church and may not really fully understand that, but being a portable church, I don't have a portable home, but we definitely have a portable church. In fact, it's the craziest thing that on Sundays at 2 o'clock, our dream teamers, you guys rock, you ladies rock. What they'll do is they'll stay here. There are boxes here, boxes there everywhere. They load it up, and they will make this church move into the trailers, and they will go park it at our dream center. It's a portable church. What does that mean? It's not permanent. It's not in one location. That's how come we can move to this place and that place, but praise God, in four weeks, we're going to go from temporary to permanent. So I I think we can understand it. Well, there's a celebration that reminds us, you know where I'm going, like this ain't permanent right here, this earth, our life. There is a permanent location, but it's not here. So let me show you. They celebrate the fact they were wandering and living in temporary huts. They were brought to their final home. They celebrated it during a harvest season. It's okay, it was wandering, but I got a permanent place, and it's in the middle of the harvest. Here's how it translates to us. We are living in this temporary earth. We will be brought to our final home in heaven. There will be a great and final harvest of people. I believe we're living in those days. In fact, historians will tell you uh, we're in the greatest day of salvation that history has ever seen. In the last 17 years, from 2017 to tw- 2000 to 2017, in those years, they have been able to track. We have had more salvations, more conversions, more people born again than the 2,000 years previous, from the time Jesus arrived till the year 2000. 17 years. In accordance to history, that's a harvest. 
You said, well, that's normal. No, 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 it ain't normal when we line it up with history. So we are in a harvest season. And so for us, we understand, God, there is something supernatural. And the devil wants you to think that it's about your vacation home, that it's about your job, that it's about the luxuries and the leisures and about peace and rest. And it's not about any of that. It's about heaven and bringing heaven to earth and realizing when I walk through tough things that this is not my permanent home. And look, I don't have... I understand people have lost people in this pandemic. I get it. I lost my dad in November. It wasn't due to the, to the pandemic, but I know what loss feels like. And the thing that got me through it was my dad is in his real home. He is with our God and he is there right now watching what's happening. It's just a different view, a different seat. That's where we cannot allow the enemy to cause us to shrink back in fear, to back off, to try. No, we got to say, God, let your kingdom come. And as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. And I'm not, and you need to hear this too. I'm not talking about mask or no mask. I'm not talking about what side of this I fall into. We pastor everybody. We have a whole online community that they're at home and many of them cannot get out. Listen, we love you. I don't care if you don't come out. That's fine. There's no judgment. What I'm telling you is the devil is trying to destroy his church because we are thinking temporally and not eternally. So I just want you to know, you, you wear about you do whatever. Just come on back. First Thessalonians 4:16. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That means those that have been buried, listen, their, their bodies are going to rise, their spirit that's with God is going to join it, and then the Bible says, those who are still alive, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is not some maybe, possibly, this is going to happen. It's called the second coming of Christ, and as a believer, the last thing I can do is let this church not be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Well, that's what Tabernacles is. It's a picture of the fulfillment. It hadn't happened yet. The other two have happened. This hadn't happened. I believe, my question is, could we be the generation that get to operate? Can you imagine history marking us like the 120 that were in the upper room? We didn't need to know our name, but we were ready. Didn't need to have an ego or a logo, but we was ready. Jesus said, I'm coming back, and we got a church. We're just ready. See, we are writing history together, church. Do you understand? And the devil, imagine those that went to the upper room but didn't stay there. They got tired day day eight, got tired on day nine. Jesus, you didn't do it. And then can you imagine the person that probably left at at day nine with just 30 minutes left to go for day 10 and the outpouring and they walk out and here comes the disciples, the 120 in power and they're like, I almost, I don't want to get to heaven and say we almost. We had a big crowd. It ain't about a crowd. We had people that liked us. It ain't about popularity. It ain't about us building our name. It's about us building the name of Jesus, raising up a church that will fearlessly declare the gospel, raising up a church that will say we're not going to be pulled to the right or to the left. We choose to be kingdom, and when we do that, God will visit us. It is what God has called us to do. And the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital if we're going to do this the way God intended us to do it. Why? Because he's got an assignment that's too big for your natural. It's too hard. Somebody said, well, I just, it's been too hard. Well, I wonder, maybe it's the power. Well, I've been baptized. Yeah, but do you operate in it daily? Are you praying in the spirit every day? Are you filling yourself up? It's not about a one-time moment. It's a lifetime. I have found myself praying in the spirit more than I have ever prayed every day, every situation. I don't know how to lead you out of this pandemic except for the Holy Spirit is leading us. Second coming of Christ. So think about this. It all begins with the Passover. That's celebration of salvation. Then it goes to the the Pentecost celebration of us being endued with power. And then the tabernacles. This is in our home. Jesus is coming back. 
And so some people might say, well, what does this mean? You know, Acts 2.12, I love reading these passages because I think they're just like us. Well, okay, great. In the light of that, what does this mean? Well, good. I'm glad you asked. It means God wants to empower you to live naturally supernatural. How does he do it? Three ways. Holy Spirit empowers me to live a godly life. Remember, Pentecost was about receiving the law, and the law was written on tablets on the outside. And so it's a behavior, a pattern, and or it's, it's a pattern of behaviors that God said, hey, I want you to live this way. Well, imagine, you know, if the, 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 without Pentecost in the New Testament, you just are following rules. Like there is a legalism to it. There is a religion. And so it's like, man, if I follow these rules, then I'll, I'll be good enough. Well, that's the rules. It's the rules. So, so what we see is then when Pentecost happens, it's not about rules. You know what it's about? It's not about legalism. It's not about a Ten Commandments out there. It's about the spirit of the law. It's about, God, you write your law in my heart. I don't have to read the Bible and say, okay, tell me what to do and not to do. That's how come you could be born again and not have read the Bible, but still be convicted when you do things that are sin. Who's convicted? It's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's writing God's law in your heart. You see what I'm saying? Because why it's now, it's a living, breathing. That's the grace. That's the fulfillment of what Jesus came to do. And so it's now not external, but it's internal. In fact, some of you have said, I've tried to live this life and I'm trying to do good. And I've been saved and born again, but it's too hard. Maybe it's because you're trying to follow rules that are external. But when the Holy Spirit comes internal, now it's like, oh, it's a breath of fresh air. I don't have to. I get to. See, that's a switch. I don't have to. I get to. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah prophesies this in Isaiah 30, 21. So he prophesies and he's speaking of a vision. And look what he says. Whether you turn to the right or left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way to walk in. So what's he doing? He's prophesying how the Holy Spirit talks to us. You know, I think about how we launched this church. I had two options. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but I had a really great option. And then I had an option uh, before we launched church to move to Houston to get a bivocational job to work part, part-time, which there's no part-time pastoring, in a church uh, over in Stafford. And uh, this other opportunity was so much better. I mean, when you did the to-do list or the, the, the pros and cons, it's like, yep, 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 yep. Ooh, not so much. Yep, 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 yep. No. And yet the Holy Spirit said, if you'll go that way, it's not my way. But if you'll go to a way that doesn't make sense, it doesn't stack up with pros and cons. God, I love that method. Hey, look, I'm all about it. We got a team. We do opportunities and threats and weaknesses and all those things. But there are sometimes, look, buying that building 18 months ago, standing on this stage, there was no way. It didn't make sense. Oh, right now you want us to do it? we don't have a million dollars, but yet the Holy Spirit spoke to us as a team and we said, yes. Then the pandemic happened. Did you see anybody shrink back? No. Why? Because we had a word from God. Someone say, how do you have a word? Well, because we own the building and we're going to be in there in four weeks and outside of God, that would have been impossible. Absolutely impossible. Somebody somebody said me the other day, pastor, how'd you do it? Oh, I didn't do a thing. I listened to God, and if you remember, I said it's going to be the best thing or the worst thing, but I feel like we have a word from God, and our leadership team, our overseers, our trustees, everybody agreed, and we stepped in unity, in faith. There are going to be times in your life when the Holy Spirit leads you that don't make sense, but when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can hear, and then you can obey. Second thing, Holy Spirit empowers us to live supernaturally, supernaturally. How many know that uh, Jesus lived supernaturally? You read the Gospels. If you're brand new to the faith, please don't read the Old Testament. <laughs> Not now. I had someone, I said, they said, hey, I just came, you know, just became a Christian. I said, great, where are you at? They're like reading Exodus. I'm like, oh my God, don't read Exodus or Leviticus. Or <laughs> you're like, you see the mass murder of animals. You're like, what kind of God did I just surrender my life to? No, no, no. Just start in the New Testament. Start with mass you and then get that going and then you'll start to get an understanding. (laughs) Don't start. Uh, So so I don't even know where that was pretty funny to me. I'm cracking up. Oh, Jesus. So Jesus in the gospels, you know, so you watch Jesus. and, And I think for us, you can say, well, of course he's the son of God, but he came as all man and all God. 
submitting now to the laws of, of this natural world. And what I mean by that is he was still here, held to this earth by gravity. Like he got hungry. Come on, somebody. It wasn't like he just didn't have, no, no, he grew up, he was a baby. The Bible says the things he suffered, he learned obedience. What do you mean? Jesus suffered just like us. That's why the Bible says he's a great high priest making intercession for us because he knows what everything you're going through feels like. So he's telling God in heaven, hey, God, they're, you know, they're walking through this tough spot right here. Man, they're, you know, financially they're struggling. And God, I remember what it's like to struggle. I was a carpenter. If you remember when dad died, it was really tough. And it was me and mom and the brothers and, and sister. And here we are. And God, it was really tough. I'm asking you will you help Jolea? I'm asking you, will you help Ashley? I'm asking you, will you help Maxwell? The Bible said he is making intercession for you and for me because he's been there. And we could say, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, but you know what? He left a part of himself through the power of the Holy Spirit that we could operate like him. Acts 10, 38, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. So imagine, so we're talking about the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God, yet three in one. They're distinct. And so God anoints Jesus with who? The Holy Spirit. If Jesus, and this is where his ministry is, begins. So Jesus didn't even begin his ministry until he was anointed with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Imagine. And so sometimes we don't have that experience. We hadn't received all of God and we wonder, well, no, I can't be like Jesus. Well, actually, we're supposed to follow Jesus. And the Bible says not only will we do what he did, but greater things than these. How? Because we've experienced the Holy Spirit's anointing just like Jesus. Think about it. So many sick and hurting people around him. He needed power. How many of you got some sick and hurting people around us? If Jesus needed power as God and man, I mean, no, I need power. Maybe even more so. Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but God's power. That's why it's so important for me. I, I don't need you. Look, for me, I'm convinced I like to try to make you laugh, and, and I've learned more than ever. You know, this ain't entertainment. I tell you all the time, I'm not here to give you a self-help seminar. I'm here to preach the Word of God, and I need the power of God to touch your life, just like Paul did. We've got to operate in the greater, supernatural. I'm going to live naturally, but I got your super on top of it. Why? Because, look, there are people that need the healing of God's anointing in their life at your work. You can't heal nobody, but the Holy Spirit through you can operate. We don't do it ourselves. Listen, we just a vehicle. We just get, but think about that. Think about the person you maybe were short with in the line at Kroger's or Whole Foods or God forbid Walmart. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> right? Why, how, how, how are you going to give them what you don't have? How do you give them power and let the power of God touch them if we don't have the power of God? See, the devil, he don't care how you miss the Holy Spirit. He just wants you to miss it. That's it. He, he doesn't care. He'll divide. He'll say whatever. It doesn't matter. But today we're getting understanding. Which leads me to third. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live on mission. And, and what do you mean mission? Look, First Thessalonians, or, uh, yep. Well, let me, let me just tell you this first. As I talk about mission, I want to look at me bold statement. If you're looking for a church just for you and your issues, we're not the one. Now, let, me, let, me, let me just help you with this. Now, I'm your pastor. I want to be your pastor. If I'm not your pastor, I'd love to be your pastor. And I want to help you through your hurts, your habits, your hangups. I want to help you through, through the tough times. I want to pastor you. I want to lead you. But the thing that we've got to understand is that's not all this is about. And there's so many times where church can become about me when, when people are left to themselves, they make it about themselves, and God's like, I want you to experience healing, but the healing has a purpose. I'm going to heal your heart. I'm going to restore your marriage. I'm going to bring your family back together. But listen, it's not so you can go live the American dream. The American dream is a, is a lie. That's not God's dream. The white picket fence, that's not God's dream. Some of you are called to give your life overseas. Go live in a hut. That's God's dream. 
And sometimes we get off mission and it comes about us. How, how do I know when it's about you when you get your feelings hurt all the time and you get offended at little things? Listen, I'm not saying that, that people aren't ugly and things don't happen, but my God, I am not leaving the church God planted me in because they didn't put me here. They can't keep me here. God put me here. I stayed in the same church for 22 years. Never was validated. Except when God would say, do this. And it would be so funny. I'd get up and I'd do it. And I'd be so excited, God, I'm going to step into it. And it was almost like, nope, come on back. Nobody would see me. I thought, God, you called me. And it's like, no, we're going to pull somebody else and do something else. And you know what I learned in that season? That I had to realize I'm not doing it for this person. I'm not doing it for that person. And there was a tenacity that was built on the inside of me that said, come hell or high water. That's how come I could go be an executive pastor cleaning toilets, mopping floors, this whole 50,000 square foot building with no janitorial staff except the Kyle's team. Yeah. And I could have got offended. Oh, nobody will help me. No, no, you know what I said? I'm a general. God, I'm going to do this. If you want me to do this until you come back, I'm going to mop floors. You want me to unplug that toilet? I'll unplug it. Why? Because I don't work for them. I don't work for a check. I work for you. And God, the thing that I give you is the worship of my life. See, that's, that's what worship is. Worship ain't a moment or a song. Worship is your life. Can you worship with your life when you're offended? What does that mean? That means you don't move. Because here's, here's what I've seen, and this is after. It's in my book. I write all about it. Unstuck and Unstoppable comes out November 9th. Here's, here's what I write about. It's not that God didn't love me. God had to work some stuff out of me. I promise you, God loves you. He loves you so much, he will not allow you to be comfortable. And if we're not careful, people will validate your gifts and prostitute you. There is nobody on this team. There's no, I'm not. When I I was on sabbatical, somebody said, Pastor, you've gone too long. No, 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 no. You know what that tells me? This church will function with or without me. This church is strong. God built his church and it ain't going nowhere. You know what that does to me? Oh God, that's why I tap this. You see me? Look, it says it's a privilege. That's what it does when you realize that you're not irreplaceable. You say, God, I get to be a part of this. My life gets to be some worship. And God, I choose that I'm not going to be offended, but I choose to live my life on mission. So listen, I'm not saying we're not going to pastor your family. We are, but then we're going to point you in the right direction. Where's that? The lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and a deep conviction. Deep conviction. I'm not trying to lead them to a great church. I'm trying to lead you to a great God. See, if He is great, He's the one that heals your marriage. He's the one that heals your family. He's the one that restores your life and helps heal the pains of the past. Listen, we've all had deep pain. And I'm concerned we have a flimsy church, a weak church. Not here. I, I, well, let, let me kind of just be candid. And I, I, I just, COVID made me very, I was deeply wounded. Not at the church, I was deeply wounded at myself. I just think it's like it exposed some things where you're like, man, when, when I'm okay with the crowd leaving. Like, we know that. Can I, can I just get like, like, I understand there's some of you investigating the claims of Christ. And I want you to know, if you're an atheist, a skeptic, agnostic, Buddhist, it doesn't matter who you're. I don't care. Muslim, thank God you're in the right place. Investigate the claims of Christ. We don't judge you. We love you. Maybe you're just a good old sinner, a hedonist. I praise God that you were at the club last night and you're in church this morning. Why? Because you're in the right place for an almighty God to touch your heart. Now, if you was a Christian and you was up in the club, your pastor's going to come get you. (laughs) Right? Why we judge sinners? Sinners do what sinners do. Come on, somebody. Sinners do what sinners do. 
And you know, I just, it's not about us. God. I want to be a church that if a pandemic hits, the dream team doesn't fall away. That's where I was. Because see, that's a reflection of me. See the crowd, but the core. And I know there's moments, you know, Jesus, he, he talked to the crowd. He said, you got to eat my body, drink my blood. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing? You're really popular. Don't mess it up. We got a good offering today. Do you realize who was out there? Nicodemus was out there. My brother got money. Jesus, don't mess it up. And the Bible says everybody left. Here's the problem. This wasn't a leaving because of truth. This was a leaving because of an environment. I told our team, with God's help, that'll never happen again. We had... 66% of our dream team not come back. 66. This is not uncommon. I've talked to pastors all over America, but here's what I did. I said, that's on me. That's on our staff. And we will never get caught up in the moment of crowds and not build disciples. I don't care about attendance. I care about disciples. I care about people who will stand the test of time. I'm not getting pulled over to racism. I'm not getting pulled over to the educational debate. I'm not getting pulled over into a political debate. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And if I will raise up a church that say we are not going there or going there, we are kingdom. Then what happens is no matter what happens in the environment, we stay united. That's been my greatest desire. So that's where we have to say, God, 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 help us with power. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 1.5. It's not simply words. Saying it's self-help seminar. I'm not trying to just get you riled up. I'm trying to get you the power of God and the Holy Spirit with look at the deep conviction. I love that. Not judgment and hatred and all those things, just deep conviction. I want to leave you this last thought. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. And we got to be careful that we don't go out and say, well, you, you're this denomination. You're that denomination. No, 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 no. Why are we attacking each other? Why are we cannibalizing one another? Listen, we are the kingdom of God. We are the church. We are united. There are different flavors. But if you're here, it's because God brought you to this place. So I wonder if you'd be open to saying, Holy Spirit, have your way. I recognize that there is a purpose, and it's not out there, but it's in here, that you have called me to be filled with your power. And then we just, let's let's go fight the devil. Come on, somebody. Can we stop fighting churches and people? And some of you need to take off your Instagram and your Facebook. You're not bringing unity. You're bringing your opinion, which brings division. Post things that are Bible. Post things that unite people. And then when we love them, then we might actually have an opportunity to reach them. William Wilberforce, when he was fighting slavery, he brought the whole movement of, of the abolition of slavery. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. You cannot win your enemies. And how many of us look at the world as an enemy? That denomination is an enemy. No, 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 no. We love everyone. We welcome everyone. We don't accept lifestyles. Like, we're not going to compromise. But we love them. We still got to preach the truth. We're not going to pander truth. Truth is truth. And we'll stand for what is God's word and truth. Amen. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Move supernaturally in our lives, God. We declare your greatness, your goodness. Father, 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 Father. Can you just talk to him? I feel the presence of God. I know you can just sense what he's doing. He's raising an army up. Men and women, teenagers, children, we're not going to bow to the peer pressure and cave into the norms of society. We just, we're going to say, God, we'll give you everything. And if it cost us our freedom, if it cost us popularity, if it cost us people that 
We thought we were friends. We cannot. The greatest tragedy would be for us to miss being ready for the second coming. This is on us. Just as the previous celebrations were on another generation, I believe this is on us. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. I do. I believe, God, okay, so here's what I know. The harvest is coming. God, I need all of you. If there's anything of you that I've not experienced, I'm open. I need all of you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. And we're going to see God do some amazing things. Now, I know you're thinking, are we going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I'm not. I'm going to talk about it next week, and then we're going to pray for you next week. Well, Pastor, why would you get me all excited? Because I want you to know. I want you to have considered. I want you to really think about it. Go back and read the notes. And then I want you to come ready next week and just say, God, I'm open. And let's see what God will do in our lives next weekend. So, Father, I pray you seal the word. Do what only you can do. Thank you for this, Lord. Holy Spirit, we love you. Praise you. Now, if you're here today, you keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. And we talked about salvation, but you don't... You haven't experienced salvation for yourself. You, you feel distant from God. You don't have a relationship with God. I want you to know this is your moment. The grace of God is in this place. And there's an invitation for you to become a follower of Jesus, for you to surrender all. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says we confess him as Lord and believe in our hearts. The Bible says you will be saved. Why do we confess him as Lord? That means he becomes Lord over every area of our life, our time, our words, our actions, our every area, our discipline, our, our finances, our relationship. He's not wanting to be on your list. He wants to be at the top of your list. He doesn't take second place. He wants to be first place. And if that's you, you find yourself this morning, you say, I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to make him first place in my life and confess him as Lord. Would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask you to come down, but just as an act of surrender, just between you, you, you and God, I want to see who I'm praying for. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Come on. Isn't that awesome? Okay. I want everybody to pray this. We're going to pray a prayer of surrender. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. I thank you for dying on the cross so that I could receive your gift of salvation. I turn away from my old life. I repent. And right now, I give you control in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.